Good morning. Today we're going to continue on with our Jonah sermon series. We're still in Jonah chapter one. This is the third sermon of the series. We're only like five verses in because the first four verses had some really big concepts, really big things in them. And so we're going to start. I'm just going to read the first verses for you. We're going to continue on and we're going to read about how Jesus is our savior. He is mighty to save. Whether we're suffering at the hands of others' sin, whether we're suffering at the hands of our own ungodly choices, God wants to save us. Jesus wants to save us from that. That's his heart. That's who he is. He is a savior. He's our savior. He's Jonah's savior. He's a sailor's savior. He's everybody's savior in the book of Jonah. And we're going to continue to read about Jesus as our savior. We're going to start in verse one. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And so there was a lot of repetition there. Tarshish was the farthest away that you could get from Nineveh. Nineveh would have been, uh, if you're looking at Israel, it would have been southwest of Israel by 500 miles. And Tarshish was the largest city in the known world that was at the farthest point away. It's all the way over in Spain. And so Jonah, instead of going to do what the Lord wants him to, uh, as the story repeats multiple times, Tarshish, 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 emphasizing Tarshish, because that's how hard Jonah's heart is to the word of the Lord. He's going to go the exact opposite way that God has told him, as far as he can go to rebel as deeply as he can against what the Lord wants him to do. And that's where we left things off. And so Jonah has rejected God's commands. He's rebelling against the Lord. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so here Jonah has rejected God's commandments and God has done something that seems unconnected he has hurled a storm in response to Jonah's rebellion. Now, the scriptures reveal this to us. They point this out to us. When people go through life, this is a very dangerous thing to apply it to your daily life. Everything that goes wrong, if you think, oh, is this because I did something bad? Is this because I did something bad? You know, God reveals to everyone here involved what he's doing and what he's done through his word. In our life, I wouldn't jump to that kind of conclusion at all. That's a very difficult way to go through life. Is God punishing me for something I did in third grade? Is, is grandma sick right now? Because I, I cursed back and, you know, and I wouldn't live life that way. I would say that the consequences of our sin almost always are directly connected to the point where you can visualize them and you don't have to wonder, is God punishing me for this sin? Because you've received the punishment for that sin in that area, right? If you're wondering if God is punishing you for his sin, you just connect the dots. Well, for my gluttony, I've got these health issues, right? For my lying, I've lost friends because they can't trust me. Usually our sin is directly connected to the consequences. But here, God has done something else. Jonah has rebelled against God, and God hasn't just let the situation go. Jonah's rebelling. He's running to Tarshish. 
God is stepping in in a miraculous way because the consequences of Jonah's sin clearly aren't going to be enough to reach him. And God loves Jonah. And so he goes the extra mile and he sends a storm into the situation because he's got a plan. So the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And if God is allowing you to experience the consequences of your sin, if God has, if you've rebelled against God and he's allowing you to suffer because of that, that's something that we don't like. We want God to bail us out, right? Oh, Lord, I made this mistake and now I got these things happening. God, I just want you to bail them. Can't you just miraculously, you know, I don't want to change my lifestyle habits. I know that I'm not serving you. I'm not, but, but God, can you just bail me out and make me healthy anyway? Right? That's what we want the Lord to do. I know I do. God, I know I've just, I spend my money foolishly and I've gotten myself in this situation. God, I just want you to bail me out so I don't experience the consequences of my sin. And if God allows you to experience the consequences of your sin, you feel like he's mean. Why, God? Well, it's because he loves you. It's actually the opposite. If God wouldn't let you experience it, if he'd bail you out, if he'd turn a blind eye, he wouldn't love you because there's something more important then the situation, it's your heart. And what the Lord does is the Lord disciplines those he loves. Proverbs 3.12, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. What's more important to me than bailing my kids out is who my kids are. What's more important to God than the situation that you're in, it's who you are in that situation. God loves you. If God is disciplining you, it's a good thing. He cares enough to do something about it. He cares enough to try to get a hold of you. Here Jonah's running from the Lord. He's going the opposite way. God steps in and intervenes. I'm sure Jonah doesn't want that. Oh, Lord, why? Why? Because he loves you and he's trying to get a hold of your heart. He's got plans for you. He sees something in you. It'd be very disturbing if actually he did just bail you out and let nothing happen. I don't care about this one. They can be as evil as they want, whatever. I have no defection for them. That would be a parent who doesn't discipline their child and just lets their child do whatever. That's an unloving parent who doesn't care about their kids. And God is a loving parent who cares about his kids. And if you're suffering right now and if you're self-aware if you're a self-aware person, which we're not super good at, but if we are self-aware, we probably can think of three to four areas right now in our life where we are suffering the direct consequences of our sin. The reason why you haven't been able to think of anything off the top of your head probably right now is because that's how spiritually blind we are. But that's an important thing not to miss. That's an important part of our spiritual growth is to be self-aware and see the damage that's happening in our relationship, in our lives, as attributed to our own sin. And how is God disciplining you? If you're following the Lord, God is leading you somewhere. And where is that? Don't miss it. Here Jonah has run from the Lord, but the Lord loves Jonah, so he's not going to let it go. He's going to dig into this. And Jonah is going to be led to a place of very deep suffering because of his own actions. And it's all because God loves him. And the interesting thing is, there's other people in this story too. There's the sailors 
They haven't done anything wrong. Now, they're not innocent. They're sinners just like the rest of us. But they haven't done anything specific in their lives to deserve this. They're suffering at the hands of someone else's poor choices. The storm comes on, and it's so frightening. It's such a serious storm that these are professional sailors, and they are in a panic. They're thrown over the precious cargo trying to save themselves. The mariners are afraid. It's a great storm that's coming in their lives. It's a huge deal. In verse 6, they go down to Jonah. They say, what do you mean, you sleeper? Now they're sailors, so I imagine that they clean this up a lot for us in this story. Arise, call out to your God. They're all calling out to their gods. Verse 5, each cried out to his God, help us. We're going to die. And here they haven't done anything specific to encounter this kind of suffering. In this world, we'll experience suffering in three places. One is at the hands of our own sinful choices. The other is at the hands of other people's sinful choices. And the last is just from the results of living in a fallen world. Through none of our specific choices, but through the choices of our humanity, of humanity, of Adam and Eve, of all of the people down, of us through the ages, our sin will cause suffering that way too. At our hands, at the hands of others, and just from humanity. Here these people are suffering. They haven't done anything wrong. That might be you as well. You might be in a situation where you didn't do anything wrong. You haven't done anything specifically sinful like them. You're not innocent, but you haven't done anything specifically to deserve this. And whether the situation is that you're suffering at the hands of others, you're suffering at the hands of your own sin, or if you're suffering just from living in the sinful world, God's a savior, and Jesus wants to save us from no matter what the cause is. And we're going to see that in this story. God doesn't just love Jonah. He loves the people of Nineveh, who we haven't even got to yet. God loves Jonah, and God loves these sailors. There's not a person in the book of Jonah that God wants to leave behind, because he loves each and every one of them. God loves each and every one of you. God loves each and every one of us. And he wants to save us from the suffering that we're going through. And they ask Jonah, they all cry out to their gods and they say, Jonah, why haven't you called out to yours? Jonah's running from God. They're not running from God. They're in a difficult situation. They all cry out to God. There's one person that doesn't. And Are you crying out to God in your life? Jonah's not. There's a lot of different reasons why I think we grow cold in our faith. In the book of Job, Satan comes to God and says, you know, they only serve you because you give them things. If you stop giving them things, they'll turn and curse you. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And many of us have that type of faith still. It's very easy to have. I know it's easy for me to fall on Every time something goes wrong, I go, God, why haven't you given me good things? And that's a deception of Satan. God is good. He is good in everything he does. But we prayed before, and we didn't get what we wanted, and so we don't think God is going to move. 
And so the next time we encounter suffering, we don't cry out to God. And pretty soon our prayer life consists of when we have a minute and we're on the toilet or we're driving the car or we're, we get up in the morning and we're praying in our bed as we start the day. I mean, that's not a prayer life. All right, that is not a prayer life. That's absolutely not what God intended when he gave us the gift of prayer to communicate with him. What does it look like to cry out to God? I, you know, ladies, I go on Instagram every once in a while and some of you have posted inspiring prayer type photos. You have? If you've posted one, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But I've seen them all over. And they're, they're just so sweet, right? You have your prayer latte, and it's perfectly manicured. It's like, I don't even know how to do it, but they, they somehow got all the foam in like a shape of a heart. I don't buy these things, so I don't know. I don't watch them make them. But I am astounded at the artistry that someone has put into that prayer latte, right? And it's nice, and you got it sitting, and it, everything looks so comfortable, and you got your comfy robe on, you got your comfy slippers on, and you're in a beautiful place. And, uh, you know, you got your Bible open and you've taken time to Instagram that so that everyone can know your prayer life, you know? And so if you want to cry out to God, what you do is you take that latte, right? You take it, you maybe take a little sip. And then you, you take that perfect little situation and your robe and you take all of it and you grab it and you throw it away. You throw it away, because if you're crying out to God, you don't have time to Instagram that. That's not going to impress anybody. You're going to have tears coming down your face. You're going to have snot in your nose, because when it looks to cry out to God, you, you don't have an open container with a beverage, because that thing's getting knocked over if you're crying out to God for salvation. That's not a prayer life. What are you doing? You're not crying out to the Lord. If that's your life, you got to think bigger. If you can sit there and come before the Lord and pray to the Lord and that's, that's the intensity that you've got in your life, you've got to step out in faith and start taking some more things on that you need the Lord and only the Lord to get you through. Crying out to God looks like somebody saying, save me, Jesus, because this life is hell and I can't do it on my own. That's what it looks like to cry out to God. Get yourself in one of those situations. If Satan's not going to get you in a situation like that, then get yourself in a situation like that by stepping out in faith to follow the Lord. Take something on. Try to start a ministry. Try to start a business. Do something to get yourself in a situation where only God can save you. He is our Savior. And he wants to save everyone involved. I didn't think that one through. <laughs> Gonna need that shoe for the rest of the service. That's what it looks like to cry out to God. And uh, if, you know, I sit there and I pray and I do these prayers when I'm on the toilet and I think, if I was God, why would I even answer this? I wouldn't answer this. Give me a break. What am I doing? And I look back at the times that I've prayed in my life and God has has blessed me so much. He's blessed me so much, and he's answered so many of my prayers. And the ones where I scream, literally, uh, he's answered those the most. 
And it's not about, you know, this is a, a, prayer is a difficult thing because it's not about getting something from God. It's about connecting with God, right? So I can tell you about the prayers that he answered, but that's really not the point because the most important thing that comes from those prayers is a relationship with the Lord and a trust in the Lord. When I cry out to him as Savior and he saves, more important than the things that I've gotten, it's that relationship with the Lord. I remember when I was graduating from college, I had no job, I had no future, I had no prospects, I had nothing. And I was so angry because I had worked for so long to try to set myself up in a situation where I had something. I had nothing. I had no wife. I had no girlfriend. I had no interest. I was at just zero, zero. And I remember graduating from college and I went down to this chapel that was on campus and I just cried out to the Lord. And I screamed and I, you know, snot coming out of my nose, throwing my shoes. And the Lord just moved and he answered every one of those prayers. And I could go down and tell you about them. And he even answered the stupid ones. And I was like, if I'm praying, I'm going to pray for stupid things too, because I just don't care anymore. So I prayed for dumb things. I prayed for big things. I prayed for little things. He answered those prayers, every one of them. And, but the most important thing that I got out of that was just trust in the Lord, his presence, faith in him, connecting with him. And that's the point and the purpose of prayer. That's the point and the purpose of calling out to God. And I think we don't do that because we don't actually believe that he's going to do anything. And so instead, we pray silently, we pray quietly, and we mostly do it sipping a latte and enjoying ourselves. Because what we really want to do is just enjoy ourselves and have a good time. But prayer is about, prayer is different. And Jesus is a savior. And Crying out to God is something that we should all be doing. Crying out to God and getting ourselves in those situations where Jesus will save us and crying out and experiencing that and getting into it and praying like you mean it is something that we should all be doing. A few months ago, we did a sermon series or sermon on prayer as we went through the parables. And um, we looked at Luke 11 and Luke 18. And in both of those, God compares himself to an authority, a person in authority who can help, who says no when people come to him and ask. It's, I mean, this, change your idea of prayer because what you've got to do is you've got to scream and you've got to fight for it and you've got to put your heart into it. We call that, that prayer uh, message, go big or go home, because the whole point of that is God is a just God who will help, but he wants you to want it. He wants you to come to him as your savior. He wants you to come to him passionately and cry out. He wants to see what you're made of. He wants you to fight with him a bit. That's it. I mean, he wants you to fight with him. There's really no other way that I can say it. If you read Luke eleven eighteen, 18, he wants you to fight and say, I know what's right, Lord. I know what's right. I know what you should do. Lord, do this. And I'm not going to stop praying until you do. And that is what should characterize our prayer life. And it's weird, and people will think you're nuts. That's why you won't Instagram a real prayer life. But that's what a real prayer life looks like. And here, these people are all in this situation. They need the Lord, and so they're crying out to him. There's no thought about how they look. There's no concern about their own dignity. When we come to church I mean, you got to get over that hurdle of your dignity, right? Because you're in public and you're praising the Lord. And to praise the Lord, you've got to sacrifice some of that dignity. You've got to sing. Maybe you're not a good singer. It doesn't matter. 
you're going to praise the Lord, you got to sing. So you got to sacrifice some of that dignity. If you want the Lord to move, you've got to seek him. You're raising your hands. You're praying loudly in church. You're doing these things, and you've got to get over it because it requires the sacrifice of your dignity. And here are these people. They don't care. They need the Lord. They're crying out to every God that they can think of. Arise, call out to your God, they say. And Jonah's not doing that. And are you doing that in your life? And so verse 7, they said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come on us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they cast lots and cast lots. It could look many different ways back in, the, back in the day, you know, dice, drawing straws, whatever, to try to determine the will of the gods. And uh, God is so good that he works through this. Jonah is the reason that this has come on them. And as they do this, uh, Jonah, it's revealed that Jonah's done this. Now, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, uh, if you're looking for God's will in your life, I wouldn't re- recommend this type of a, a situation. The point is that God is so good, God has got a plan that he's going to move and nothing's going to stop him in this story. That's the point of that. We have his word, so don't look, don't look to, uh, uh, you know, casting lots, look to his word. And if it's not in his word, it's probably not important. All right, now, whoa, what? So many times we think like, God, do you want me to have this job or that job? And we don't get direction from God on that. And we think, why, Lord? This is a huge decision in my life. And we look for a direction in his word and I don't see any direction on his word. And because it really doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Frankly, probably could cast lots in that situation and come out with whatever job because God, it's probably not that important. What's important to God, if you read his word, is that we spread his gospel. And so if you want to know what job you should take, pick one and go spread the gospel. That's probably what the Lord cares about. The Lord cares that we love others. You want to know what job to take? You want to know what house to buy? Well, pick one and then go love the people that are there. And we have God's word, and so we can see what's important. We can know what's important, and we don't have to cast lots. He's told us. If we want to know God's direction, the answer is in his word. He's written it down for us. These people, they don't even know the Lord, these sailors. They're lost. We're not lost. You might feel lost, but that's because your focus is in the wrong place. Focus on what God has told you in the word, and you won't feel so lost. Here, these people don't know the Lord. They don't have his word. They're totally lost. So they're, they're out there. They're so lost. Flip a coin. Tell me, who's, tell me who's at fault. I have no idea what's going on. Flip a coin. And so they flip the coin and it falls on Jonah. And God is so good that he is revealing to people the situation because he's got a plan. Verse eight, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah is literally running as far as his heart is so hard towards the Lord. His heart is so hard that he's going completely the opposite as far as he can. And they ask him who he is and he says, I fear the Lord. The word fear means to worship or revere. 
he reveres, he completely is the opposite. Don't listen to what you say about yourself. You're a great liar. You're a great liar. You know, I, I, I got to be in ministry and I, I got in these relationships with people, these deep relationships with people. And uh, I was shocked that what I learned is that how people introduce themselves, that is the exact opposite of what they are. I had this guy come into our church and he was the pushiest individual I've ever seen in my life. I, I don't understand this at all, but this is just who he was. And he wanted to work in a church. He wanted to work at our church for some reason, which is sort of flattering. And he was there to push his way onto staff. I've never seen anything like it. And the first time he, I met him, he walks up and goes, no, I'm not a pushy guy, but here's some things that you should be doing. Oh, thanks. And then the next time we met him, he said, I'm not a pushy guy, but here's some things that you need to be doing. And I thought, he, he told me he wanted to be in ministry. And so we'll, we'll give him something to do and we'll train him, we'll help him. We gave him an opportunity to speak at a men's event and I gave him the direction and he came back and said, you know, I'm not a pushy guy, but we're going to go in this direction and that direction and this direction. And I looked at him and said, I think you're the pushiest person I've ever seen. I said, you're not going to work on staff here at this church. I just want you to know that. If you want to serve, you can serve. But I would never take someone who's got that type of attitude and authority into this church. I had another guy who came up to me all the time and said, I'm not here to cause conflict, but this person's doing that thing and it's mean. And oh, okay, so we addressed it. And then the next week he came back, same thing. I'm not here to con cause conflict, but they're, they're doing some bad things. And after about three weeks, I realized this is all this man does is cause conflict. That's all he does. But they go and they introduce themselves as the opposite. Don't listen to what you say about yourself. This is why self-assessments don't work. Everybody's just gaga over these self-assessments, right? The strengths finders, the Enneagram. Look at American Idol. Have you ever seen that show, American Idol? Don't assess yourself you'll end up singing off-key, making a fool in front of the world because you're delusional. You've got to listen to what other people have to say. That's why community is so important. That's why the church is so important. It's because hopefully we love you enough to help guide you. And I need that as well. Everybody needs that. Jonah needs it. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Where's his small group? You're doing the exact opposite of what God commanded you. And yet here we are sitting in church as well. And we're suffering from an area in our life because of our sin. And we don't even know it. And we don't even know our sin. And now maybe as we've been sitting in church for half an hour, maybe we're starting to think about that. Oh, yeah. There's that thing that I do when I'm alone that I used to be convicted about when I did it. But now I do it so much that I don't even hear the Lord speaking to me on that anymore. There's the way that I treat my children that I used to think, but I've been doing it for so long. Here, Jonah is not someone who fears the Lord. James 1.22 says, be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Hearers of the word are just people who deceive themselves. And Jonah's deceiving himself, and we're excellent at that. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Jonah fails to follow God's word. We will fail to follow God's word. Jonah brings suffering on others, and he's the believer. How humbling. We think we're so great. We think we're so fantastic. 
Here, Jonah's the believer in this story, and he's the one bringing suffering on other people. If you don't think that you're bringing suffering on other people, then you're definitely the one bringing suffering on other people. If you're the person who's so unaware that you can't mark the ways in which you're causing others to suffer, then yes, you are definitely the problem in that situation. If you think the problem is your spouse, you are the problem. If you think the problem is your work, you are the problem. If you think your problem is your church, you are the problem. If you can't identify the ways in which you're contributing to that, you are the problem. Here, Jonah is convincing himself he's not, I fear the Lord. He's not even worried. He's downstairs. He's ignoring it. I'm taking a nap right now because I'm fine. Everything's going to be fine. No, your great sin is causing suffering in your life and the Lord is trying to get a hold of you. Now, I feel like I have to go back and correct something that I misspoke because I, I don't want people. When you run into the same problem over and over and over, then you are the problem. If you change jobs, <laughs> sometimes your job is the problem. Sometimes your spouse does need to change their behavior towards you. I hope you understood the point. I just wanted to go back because that had the potential to be spiritually abusive there. But as you go from one situation to the next, and it's revealed that this church, they have this problem, this church, they have, I don't fit here, I don't fit here. At some point, you're the problem, all right? If you can't understand how you're contributing to that, and here Jonah doesn't understand because he's deceived by Satan, and so are we so often. He says he fears the Lord, but he's not following him. Verse 11 says, and then they, we'll continue on verse 10. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, this is just as in any God. If you look up in your Bible, God is lowercase, and it says G-O-D, for example, in verse 6. They say, call out to your God. They don't know what God he serves. Verse 10, it's specifically Yahweh, Lord, capitalized. That means Yahweh. That's the God of Israel. He's very famous. He got this little slave nation out of Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth. They've heard of that God. And here they say, they're exceedingly afraid. What is this you've done? Because Jonah said in verse 9, he follows Yahweh. They've heard of that God. What have you done? Now, if they've heard of that God and they're so impressed by that God, why aren't they following that God? I have no idea. People are weird and complex. I was sitting down in a McDonald's one day, and I'm sitting there having this conversation with this guy, this counseling conversation, and this guy is sitting next to me, and I can tell he's super interested. He just says, he's listening to all of it. He's very interested in what I have to say. And I turned and said, hey, how are you doing? And we got to know each other, and I said, do you go to church? He goes, yeah, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And I said, oh, yeah, what do you think of that? And he goes, man, are they strict. And I, and I said, well, you should come to our church. He, he was talking about, he's like, basically like a cult, right? If I leave my family and never talk to me, if they're, I said, you should come to our church. I mean, we were basically the other way to a fault. People hop churches all the time. Why don't you come, and, and that would be very healing for you, I think, to come and experience that type of freedom. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he told me about being a Jehovah's Witness. He's going to stick with it. I have no idea why. But this is what people do. Why have these sailors not worshipped Yahweh before? I don't know. Maybe they're afraid of what their friends will think. But here they know of the Lord. And Jonah says he's following this God. And they said, well, what are you doing? You're running from the presence of Yahweh? That sounds like a terrible idea. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. 
For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah's sitting there. He is trying his hardest to ignore the situation. But when he gets down to it, he knows. And he knows he's worthy of God's judgment. Didn't take very long. A few verses ago, I fear the Lord. Now, a few verses later, yeah, just, just throw me over. And we, yin-yang, we bounce back between that type of despair and that type of insane blind pride. And we sang about it in that song. Lord, I've been told that I need to be ashamed. And we have a hard time. I'm going to celebrate the simple gospel. We have a hard time with that. It's either we're perfect or we're trash. Just one or the other. Either I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'll... I'm the worst. It's true. It's all because I'm a jerk. And we just go from one to the next. And I've sat there in counseling situations, and I've sat there, and we've talked, and we've talked, and I've just witnessed it, people who won't repent of anything, and then they just break down and repent of everything. And it's either that they're perfect or they're trash. Neither is the truth. Here Jonah goes from one to the other, and so do we. If we admit our sin, then we must be garbage. That's not the case at all. Here God loves every single person in this story. God loves Jonah, even as he's rebelling against him. They said to him, what shall we do? Throw me over. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Boy, these guys are great. I want to be friends with these guys. I like these guys, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They don't want to kill a guy. They don't want to th- Jonah doesn't care about anybody in this story. There's a whole city going to hell, and God has said, go preach to him. He says, no, no, that sounds awkward. <laughs> and here are the sailors. They don't even know the Lord. They love Jonah more than he loves the people of Nineveh. They love Jonah more than he loves himself. Row harder. Let's try to save this guy. Jonah's doing nothing to save anybody. And the unbelievers love people more than he does. They're working their butt off trying to save him. There's many people who don't go to church who will stand before the Lord and be judged because they would not follow the truth. And there's many of us in the church that will stand before the Lord and be judged because we had the truth and we didn't care about anybody. I'm convicted by the love of some of the people in my life who don't know the Lord. I think, why are you such an amazing person? What inspires you to do that? You're nicer to people than I am. You care about people. I can't out-nice you no matter how hard I try. And I know the Lord. There are truth people and then there are love people. Jonah's the truth guy. He's got the truth. He knows the truth. He cares about people. Zero. Here, Jonah doesn't care. They care. They're working hard to save others. So often we have the truth and we have no love for others. Honestly, I feel like the truth people love church because we come and we hear the truth. And the love people who are always tempted to put people above God, they don't like church. Because they come and they hear the truth and they say, but I love my friends and I don't want them to think I'm mean. 
Is that you this morning? Are you coming to truth because that's comfortable for you? It's comfortable for me to hear the truth. I'm going to go out and I'm not going to do any of it. I'm going to let all those people go to hell around me. But I sure love to come and hear it. And that's Jonah. In this sermon series, we're going to go back to it in the upcoming weeks. We're going to challenge ourselves to love people enough to share the gospel with them. Jonah's problem, he doesn't love people enough. The people around him love him. He doesn't love them. He's not sharing the gospel with the people of Nineveh. He's got a great opportunity to share the word of the Lord here and he won't do it. And so often that is exactly what we do. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord and now they call out to Yahweh. They don't call out to any random generic God. They call out to Yahweh. Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. Oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. How uh, These people are not suffering for their own sin. How many of us turn to the Lord and when something goes wrong, even if it's not our fault, right, we say, God, you must not love me. You must not care about me. You've allowed something bad to happen to me. God, you must not be good. You must not be there. Here, these people don't even know the Lord. And they're not saying that. They're not letting that separate them from God and call out to him as their savior. They could have done that. God, we haven't done anything wrong. We haven't done anything bad on this ship. You must not be very good. No, instead they call out to the Lord. So often we let what Satan is doing in our life separate us from the God who loves us and wants to save us. It's very difficult. I know I struggle with this every time something goes wrong in my life. I attribute to God what Satan is doing. I say, God, why'd you do this? He didn't do this. Satan's doing this. Satan's got a plan to destroy us. God's got a plan to save us. Don't let what Satan's doing separate you from what God wants to do in your life. Your life will not be perfect. You will encounter suffering and evil. Don't let that stop you from what the Lord wants to save you from. These guys are not in a position, they're not in a privileged position to sit there and argue with the Lord and blame him. They need salvation. So they just cut right to the chase. Lord, save us. Save us. What kind of God do we have? So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord. Jonah didn't fear the Lord even though he said it, and these guys didn't even know who the Lord was a minute ago. But then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That's a commitment to continue to follow this God. They've all been saved. Not only have they been saved physically, they've been saved spiritually. These people have been made right with God through their faith and this situation. Jonah's such a terrible, lousy prophet and servant that he won't tell anybody but the lo- about the Lord. But God is so good that he's going to make sure that everybody who loves him finds him. That's how good of a God we have. We're worried about spreading the gospel. What if they think I'm silly? What if they don't like me? What if they reject it? God is so good. If he can use Jonah to reach people for Christ, he's definitely going to use you. He's definitely going to use you. Be praying about who God wants to reach through you for Jesus Christ. Jonah is the worst prophet imaginable, 
But God is so good that he cannot fail because God is so faithful. He will not leave anyone behind. Everybody's getting saved in this story. The sailors get saved. The next Jonah gets saved. They throw him over. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jonah gives this beautiful prayer of his salvation. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains, and I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple." Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and his life has been changed. He's cried out to the Lord at some point as they threw him over, and God saved him. I've experienced drowning before. When I was 10, we went on this canoe trip, and we normally went on this river that was really low. Well, it had rained, it had had this hard rains, and we got there, and the river, this little river, was really high. I got in the canoe. My parents were young and foolish. They got in the canoe. We went down the, the, the river. All of a sudden, we get to this part where there's a turn and a bend, and there's trees that were knocked over from the storms, and we go through this thing. The the uh, canoe tips. My parents didn't even bring the correct uh, life jackets because it was such a little teeny river. They thought there'd be no problem. And I was wearing, I was this little teeny kid and all we had was an adult life jacket that they had around me that was way too big for me. And we turn and we go under and the water was all brown from the rain that had washed dirt into it. And I went under and I got caught in this tree that had fallen over and my parents dove underneath the water to save me. And they were pulling, they couldn't see. One was on each side of me. And they're pulling, one on one side, one on the other. And I'm going nowhere because as I learned in seventh grade from my teacher, Mr. Mueller, my physics teacher, that if you have two opposite forces of equal strength going in opposite directions, there's no net movement. And so I stayed down there wondering what was going on. And I remember holding my breath until I couldn't hold my breath anymore. And I remember I had to open my mouth and I swallowed gallon after gallon of water and I couldn't help it. And I thought I was going to die. And my mom let go finally because she was going to die. And my dad let go finally because he was going to die. And they came up and they looked at each other. And they said, do you have them? And they each looked at each other and said, no. But through all that struggle, it knocked me free from the tree. And they looked down the river. And there was the top of the life vest. And I wasn't underneath. I mean, you couldn't see me. And they didn't know I was there. And one of them went over. I think it was my dad. Eventually swam over. They kept going down to the tree. Eventually they swam over and they grabbed the life jacket and they pulled it up. And there I was hanging at the bottom of it. And the Lord saved my life. God saved my life. Jonah's not a legend. 
Jonah's not a fairy tale. It's a real person who was really drowning. This guy was really going to die. There were weeds that were really wrapped around his head, whatever it was. He was going to die, and God saved him. God is a savior. A lot of times we don't pray to the Lord because we know, well, okay, he saved my soul, but he doesn't actually do anything in the physical world. That's not true at all. God is a savior. The Lord saves. I look back on my life so fondly, and it's not nostalgia. It's because the Lord has saved me. People call that nostalgia. No, I look back so fondly in my life because God has saved me out of all these things. And I'm not experiencing it them anymore. I was miserable in 2003. Miserable. But I look back at 2003 and I was like, oh, it's such a great year. Why? Because God saved me from all of the things that I was going. I look back, I'm not going through them. They're so long gone, I can't even remember them. And I look back and I, yeah, it was so much fun back then. And I look back at what happened in 2010. I was miserable in 2010. But I look back and say, yeah, what a great time. It's because God saved me from all the things that were on my mind I was worried about. And I want to have the type of faith. Jonas only remembers the Lord in the last minute. Then I remembered the Lord. I want to have the type of faith where I remember the Lord all the time. It allows me to enjoy the moment. It allows me to enjoy right now. Because even though I'm going through things that are terrible right now, I hate them. God's got me through all these other things. He's going to get me through this as well. I don't have to go through life miserable and only later look back and remember my life fondly. My life can change now because Jesus is a savior. He's going to save me from whatever is happening now, just like he saved me from whatever happened in 2010 and 2003. This is the kind of God we have. Why is God allowing it? Why did God allow it in Jonah's life? Why did God allow it in the Savior's life? Why is God allowing you to suffer right now? It's because he wants you to grow closer to him. He wants you to grow closer to him. That's the answer to everything. It really is. That's the answer to everything. Everything that's happening right now is because God loves you and wants you to grow in your love of him. It's the secret to life. And as you use that key to uncode what's happening, you can start to go through life and navigate it and have trust in the Lord and be going the right direction. God is doing something in my life right now that I hate. I hate it. I hate it. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't think about anything else. I'm going to bed. I'm waking up. I'm thinking about this thing. And it's, God is so in it. Sarah and I are sitting there. We're talking about this. Like, what is God doing? What is God? Does he want this? Does he want that? Is he trying to teach us this? And I have to wait about three years to really figure it out so I can tell you what is happening. But I know God is in it. And I have a good hunch where he's leading. And now I just have to sit there and wait on it to make sure that I'm right before I preach on it. Because otherwise, I'm going to have to come back the next week and say I was wrong. But God is allowing it because he wants me to teach something. It's a great lesson. I sat there and I thought about it. What a genius God I have. He's a master. Like has a master at what he does. Because I got this thing, if this is true, I got this thing that I do. And this is going to challenge that exact thing. That's amazing. Look at what he did to set this all up. And here God is allowing whatever it is in your life because he wants you to grow in love for him. And God will calm the storm in your life. If you're a follower of him, 
Don't miss what he's trying to do in you and allowing it because that's the whole purpose of all of it. Don't miss how you were to grow in love of God through all of this. Jonah's missing it. He's sleeping. God finally gets a hold of him. Better to get a, let God get a hold of you quick. All these situations serve a purpose. God is so good. He's working in all of them. Here, Jonah has a prayer of salvation because his time of misery, his time of his terrible time has turned into a place where he has been saved by the Lord and his faith is different. He's different. He's changed. As we're going to see, it's, the Bible is so great. It gives a picture of reality. It's not a fairy tale. Jonah's not perfect. Neither will we be, but he is different. His life has changed. He's changed. God wants us to be changed. Come as you are, but you won't stay that way. So Jonah calls out to God, and he's saved by a fish. And there's two things that people have questions on when we read this passage. The first is that, can people live inside a fish? And Christians were so cute. We try to take the best route that we think will be best for us. There's a famous story. You can go online right now and read about it. It's a guy who, in like the 1800s, claimed to be live in a fish and be saved by a fish. And Christians have been repeating story. Oh, yeah, there was a guy in the 1800s who was saved by a fish. It can happen. It can happen. Well, that's not actually the point of the story. Where that guy got saved by a fish doesn't even matter. The point is people don't get saved by fish. This is an impossible story. It's literally impossible. That's the point. The Bible is trying to get you to believe something that is completely impossible. It's impossible to be alive in a fish for three days. And as Christians, we're so cute, we go, oh, well, if we can try to prove that, that you can be alive in a fish for three days, well, that will prove this story's true. No, it won't. You can't live in a fish. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. The point is that God is so strong, he can get Jonah out of a situation by using something that is completely impossible. Did it really happen? Yes. Absolutely, this happened. This literally happened. How do I know that? Well, turn to Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the scribes, verse 38, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him. Do we have Matthew chapter 12 up there? Yeah, there we do. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And Jesus talks about famous people who have converted from the prophets, the queen of the south and Nineveh. Nineveh heard from Jonah, the queen of the south heard from Solomon, and they believed in the Lord. And he says, these people who are standing before me will be judged by them because I'm here. I'm God in the flesh. And you want a sign? Well, I'm standing before you. 
God is a master at what he does. He wants everybody to have a free choice. God gives every single one of us all that we need to believe in him. And yet he hides himself just enough that if we want to reject him, we can do that as well. He's not going to force himself on anyone. God's a master. You want another sign? You're not going to get it. You got enough. The resurrection is coming. That's all you'll get. We say, oh, I believe if I just had a sign, I believe. We're going to do a sermon series on that someday. That never works. You go through the Bible, Jesus does all these incredible signs right in front of people, and they say, he must be from Satan. And so Jesus says, no sign for you but my resurrection. And what does he compare his resurrection to? He says in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse, verse 39, you'll be given the sign of the Disney character Jonah. You know that legend that we all tell that's really cute where the fish comes and swallows him up and then puts him on the land. Did you see that one? It's a great Disney movie. Uh, from the fairy tale, no sign will be given it to it except the sign of the fairy tale Jonah. Just like that metaphor that we talk about all the time, I'm literally going to rise from the grave. Oh, that makes sense. Jesus doesn't compare his resurrection to a fairy tale. The sign of Jonah, just as Jonah spent three days in the well. Well, if he didn't spend three days in the well, then Jesus isn't going to rise again. It goes completely against what he's going to say. Jesus is fascinating. God's a master. Jesus mentions all the main things that people complain about in the Bible. He mentions all of them as real events because he knows. He's not just talking to these people. He knows that this is going to be scripture written down throughout history. So he goes out of his way to affirm the Bible in so many ways. He could have said a bunch of different things. Instead, he picks the thing that people, do you really believe that? All these people come to me. Do you really believe that God, that the sky was swallowed by a whale? You know that whales can't swallow people and live. Are you that silly? I don't think God has any problem being strong enough to save Jonah by a whale. That's the difference between me and you. I have faith in God, that God is the creator of all things. The God who created this universe has no problem taking a whale and saving a guy in it. And that's the point of the message. And if you've missed that, you've missed the whole thing. God is so strong, he can take a whale and save a guy from drowning in it. He can certainly handle whatever is going on in your life, literally, physically, right now. That's the point. He just doesn't save people spiritually. We're not in the, I mean, it's wonderful. I don't want to discount that in any way. I want to be saved and go to heaven. But God just doesn't do that and then leave us here to get creamed the rest of the time. God is powerful over this world and this life too. The Lord will save you in so many ways if you cry out to him. And so many people don't because Satan's going to do something in their life. We're all going to die at some point. There's going to be one prayer that's not going to be answered. And we've already run into maybe one that hasn't. And so we just give up and we miss out on all the blessings that God has for us. But the whole point of the story is God can literally save someone from a fish drowning through getting eaten by a fish. He can do that. And whatever you've lost hope for in your life, God is way bigger than that. Whatever situation you are, God is way bigger than that. The broken relationship in your family, God's way bigger than that. He saved a guy in a fish. Maybe he'll send a giant platypus and fix it. I don't know, but he's big enough that he's going to do it. Have faith in the Lord. That was a lot of spit. Next week, live watch on the live stream so you don't get wet. It's, it's just object lesson here. You're like Jonah now as you're wiping yourself off. It'd be quite unusual for Jesus to refer to his 
resurrection through legend. This is something that really happened, and Jesus really saved. That's the first thing you think about. Did a guy really get swallowed by a fish? If you notice, the fish is one sentence. There's a whole rest of the book. That's not the miracle. The miracle is that people's hearts change to the power of the Lord. A fish is easy. Converting a whole city, it's unbelievable. But that's the kind of God we have. He saves, he's going to save everybody who cries out to him. Spiritually, he's going to save everybody. Those sailors are going to heaven. Praise the Lord. And they got saved from the storm. The first thing is we say, oh, he got eaten by a big fish. God is definitely big enough. The second thing is, what about my unanswered prayer? If he's going to save, why didn't he do it? That time in my life. And the answer is right there in Matthew chapter 12. Whatever he doesn't save now, he will make sure to come back for it. There's no evil which God will not fix. There's not a single bit of self-inflicted suffering that you can do in your life that God cannot fix. There's no amount of suffering at the hands of the foolishness of others that God will not fix. There's no addiction, no illness, no death. There's no death that God won't fix. And over COVID, so many of us have lost so many people. There's so many people dying. And I'm one of them who has criticized and been like, you got to get out. You can't hide in your basement. You got to follow the Lord. And I want to take a moment and just acknowledge, because I haven't done that enough. This is brutal. So many people we know and love have died. And God has not answered so many of our prayers during this time. And it's discouraging. And you might want to give up. And it might affect your prayer life. But God's got more blessings in the store. He's got plenty of more times he's going to save. And don't let the suffering of today discourage you from what God has in store for you for tomorrow. And all these people that die that we love, not a single one of them is forgotten by the Lord. Not a single one of them. And you wonder why. Why has God not saved in this situation? His plan is bigger. And he's going to return. And he's going to raise every single person that loves him from the grave. And imagine the glory of God that we will see as we see him save in all the ways that we wanted him to and didn't. Imagine the glory when he comes back and overcomes what Satan has done to every single person who loves him. And that is his plan. And he's given us the sign. It's the word of God. It's the message of Jonah. It's his resurrection. There is no evil that God will not fix for those who remain faithful.